0: Romans chapter 1 and uh, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ." As we've been looking at this over recent weeks, we've seen how Paul begins by describing himself. He speaks about uh, his role, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle. He describes then his passion. He's been set, uh, set apart for the good news, for God's exciting announcement about his son. An announcement that began right back through the Old Testament scriptures and then Uh, finally announced by angels, and Jesus comes. And this announcement is what Paul is committed to, telling people who Jesus is. He speaks about himself, he speaks about his passion. Now, uh, in verse 6, he turns to describe the people to whom he is writing. "'You also,' he says, "'are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome loved by God and called to be saints.'" It says three things about them here. They've been called, they're loved, and they're saints. In this version, and indeed some of you I know use the ESV, it says those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Actually, those words, the two words, to be, or three words, to belong, to have been added in. It actually says in the original, what is being translated here, you who are called to Jesus Christ. So all in Rome, loved by God and called saints. They've been called to Jesus Christ. But this isn't the first time he's referred to people being called. In fact, in the first six verses, there are three references. uh, Or first seven verses, rather. He begins, Paul called to be an apostle. He says, you are called to Jesus Christ and you are called saints. Three references to being called Because that is actually going to open out into one of the major thrusts of this letter. The fact of God's call. That our relationship with God, and as he's talking to these people he hasn't yet met, he knows if they belong to Christ, it's because they've been called our relationship with God begins with God. It begins way back in eternity with God making a decision and God calling us. In chapter 8 of this letter, he's going to say a little bit more about that. In chapter 8, verse 28, he says, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Goes on to say some more about it. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So he refers twice there to the fact of God calling us, and he says that begins in God deciding Our destiny beforehand. And those he predestines, he calls. Those he calls, he justifies. And those he justifies, he glorifies. There's a process beginning with God making a decision beforehand and us arriving in glory ultimately. There's a process. And along that process, God calling us. Called by God. God makes a decision about us before we're born, before we've done anything, before we've done anything good, before we've done anything bad. God makes a decision about us. And the origin then of our relationship with him is in him. He makes the decision. The origin is in God. That's why we're here this morning to worship Him. That's why we thank Him for our salvation, because it was not our doing. It wasn't even our choice. He chose us, and He called us. Then you might say, well, wait a minute, I can remember when I made a decision. I can remember when I responded. Surely it was me. Yes, but we made a response because of His call. Just imagine if maybe at the end of the meeting, People are sort of making for the door at the back, and maybe Dan here's in the front. He's just heading through the door, and I'm at the front, and I just call, Dan, so he's heading for the door. I call him, he turns around and comes back. So I call, he turns, he walks back. Then as he's coming back, other people are moving to the door. You're going the wrong way, Dan. No, he's called me. And that it's, that's a picture of our lives. God called us, we turn, we walk. And the rest of our life is that walk in response to his call. In fact, Paul says, writing to the Philippians, we're being called heavenwards in Christ. So the rest of our life, we're walking in response to his call, and we're heading towards heaven. And people might say, you're going in the wrong direction. Why are you living like that? Why are you doing that? Why don't you do what we're doing? Oh, well, he called me. The the call of God. Paul describes his life called to be an apostle. So that's the direction he's walking in. God has called him. And everyone who is genuinely a Christian, everyone who is genuinely born again, you are born again because he called you. You heard someone preaching or someone spoke with you. But in that, God called you. We respond to him because he calls us. And that call makes us turn. You see, again, to use the illustration, Dan heading for the door, I call Dan, and he turns round. Now, so as he could, in theory, if he were not such a nice guy, think, not going to. Forget it, I want to go. Now, the, the call, uh, even even if he were not a nice guy, which he is, even if he were totally rebellious, to hear, when you hear your name called, you turn. You, you just do, don't you? you not going to ignore it. You, you, and, and the call of God turns us. Uh, The theologians call it an effectual call. When we call, when God calls, we turn. His call creates the response. Perhaps a a picture of that, how that happens is the story we read about in John chapter 11, when Lazarus, friend of Jesus, has taken sick and he dies. Jesus arrives, it seems too late. Lazarus is not only dead, he's been buried, not in our kind of grave, but in a, a, a cave with a stone rolled across the door. And Lazarus has been dead four days, he's in, the, he's in the grave. Jesus arrives. And Jesus stands outside that grave and it says, in a loud voice, he called, Lazarus, come out. And then it says, and he came out. There is Lazarus, dead. Deaf to Jesus, unable to respond, but the call, Lazarus, come out, creates the response. And Lazarus comes out. That's a picture of how it was for us. We were deaf to God, blind to God, we were unable to respond in any kind of way. The call comes, and we turn and we respond. So, all you, uh, you, and you also, he says, are among those who are called to Jesus Christ. Jesus called you. He knows that of them. And they have come. God's call changes everything. God's call kind of wakes us up, imparts life, and we turn. That was how it was for Paul. Paul was zealous about what he believed. He happened to believe the wrong thing, but he was zealous about it. And suddenly, he hears a call. Jesus confronts him. He turns. And for the rest of his life, things are different. God's call changes everything. God's call imparts life. And the call of God is very specific. Like, again, I say, Dan's walking out the door. I call Dan. Other people could be walking out of the door. They just continue. But Dan's been called. And that's why when, when you're preaching, you can have two people sitting next to each other. Maybe two people who don't yet know Jesus. The gospel is being preached. One is sitting there riveted, thinking, that guy who is speaking is reading my mind. That guy who is speaking is speaking straight. That's what I was thinking before I came in. It's like the guy's reading his mail. Next to him, there can be someone sitting who's so bored... Gets out his phone, starts texting someone. Two people listening. One's responding. The other can't see anything in it at all. One is being called. The other is hearing words and yet hearing nothing. Why did we ever respond to God? Was it because we were good? Was it because we were spiritual? Was it because we were particularly receptive, responsive? No, no, no. We responded to God because God enabled us to. We responded to God because he called our name. He called us. We turned. And then a new walk begins. A new life begins. Called heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Or here it says called to Jesus Christ. Because that's the whole point of it. Not just in fact called to heaven but called to Christ forever. Called to belong to Him. And Paul is going to go on to speak about what it means that we have being called to Christ. That we are united with Him. We're in Him. Our whole life changes because of Jesus. Called to Him, we discover He was our substitute. He died in our place, suffering the punishment that we deserved. He rose again to live forever. And we're called to Him. We belong to Him. We belong there in his death. We belong there in the punishment that he suffered. It was our punishment. He took it. We belong there in his resurrection. We belong there in his eternal life. We belong there in him as he is the apple of his father's eye and we're loved by God. We're called to Jesus Christ. We're not just called into salvation as some kind of abstract thing, we're called to a person. To know him to be in him, to enjoy what it means to be in Christ, so that ultimately it says we're going to be joint heirs with him, which is to me one of the most amazing thoughts. That all that Jesus deserves, and think what he deserves, all that he deserves, we share in. We don't deserve anything. He deserves it all. He deserves all the glory. Now we're going to be glorified with him joint heirs with him, because we've been called to Jesus Christ. We're in him. The call of God, summoning us, turning us round, giving us a changed life, called to belong to Jesus. That's the first thing he says about them. And, of course, this letter is... All about what it really means to be a believer. That's the, the really major theme of the letter. Paul is writing to them to introduce himself to them. But in doing that, he's talking about God's good news. And God's news is, good news is about this totally changed existence. Where we have come into a new destiny that we realize goes back before time was. And extends when time ends. Uh, this glorious destiny of being in Jesus. And he's setting it out that we have been called to Christ. We are, well, John puts it in John chapter 17. His or John rather records how Jesus put it in John chapter 17. That we are kind of the father's gift to his son. John 17 and verse six, Jesus said, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they've obeyed your word. You ever thought of yourself like that? That you are the Father's gift to His Son. He has given you to His Son. And Jesus is not going to let go of you. No, we're, we're in Him. And we're in Him forever. Called. The call of God. You know, life can be a bit confusing sometimes. Life can be very difficult sometimes. Life can be dark and tragic sometimes. But whatever happens to us, we know there's a call. And we walk through all those circumstances because there's a call that has summoned us. We can't turn back. We can't turn aside. There's a call. And we're going to keep pressing on. Because that call is... Not just like in the example, me standing at the front calling Dan, but you know, we're singing, the King of love has sent for me. Yeah, that's, that's who it is who called us. The King of love has sent for us. And so we follow. We press through. Whatever circumstances, we're going to walk through those circumstances, we've been called. That was what kept Paul going through all the things that suffered, and he suffered and all the things that happened to him. You just read the account in the book of Acts of the unbelievable misfortunes and pain and the you know, things, the turmoil that Paul went through, but he says, called to be an apostle. Oh, that, that sets the direction. That's the way he's going. And he says, now you also are among those who are called to Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say to all in Rome, who are loved by God. Normally at this point in one of Paul's letters, He would, having introduced himself and and so on, he would then say to the church in Ephesus or whatever, uh, a church uh, of of the Corinthians or the Thessalonians or whatever, but here he, he doesn't speak of them as a church. He describes them, loved by God and called saints. And in that first reference there, loved by God, really that explains the call. He says you've been called to Jesus Christ. Why have we been called? What was the reason? Why did God call me and not someone else? Why? Well, it's God's amazing love, loved by God. That's the reason why we belong to him. In chapter 8, chapter 8 and verse 37, we've already looked at something of what he says there in chapter 8 about God's call, but in Verse 37, he says, in all these things, talking about all the things that we can suffer, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the basis of everything. The basis of God's call. He loved us. It says in verse 29 of that chapter, For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. What does it mean, those God foreknew? Well, back in the Old Testament, uh, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, we read of God saying to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. What does that mean? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew about you. He doesn't say I knew about you. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And this is something that's very hard to translate into English because the Hebrew concept there is not just about knowing about, it's about having relationship with. It's about love, it's about intimacy, it's really about choosing. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you, I was in relationship with you. You were special to me. And here in Romans 8 verse 29 says those God foreknew, those God had relationship with beforehand, those whom God set his love on beforehand, on whom he set his love beforehand, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Before we were conceived, before our parents were conceived, our grandparents, all our ancestors, before any of them existed... Before the world was formed, God knew you. Some of us can have had a difficult childhood. Debbie referred to that. Certainly, I could refer to that. My father quit home uh, when I was about five or six, I think it was. I've got little memory of him. And so I used to think as a young child, when I understood something about God, but didn't understand enough about God, I used to think my parents' marriage broke up. They shouldn't really have got married. It was a mistake. If their marriage was a mistake, then I shouldn't exist. I'm a mistake. Now, unkind people have maybe thought that about me, that I'm a mistake, but there you go. And I used to think, then I shouldn't exist. And then what's the purpose of my life then? So, you know, this little child having very serious thoughts. What's it all about? Maybe I I shouldn't be here. So then as I got older, I thought, can I really ask God what's the purpose of my life? There can't really be one, can there? you think, that is so not True. So not true. Whatever the circumstances of your birth, whether you had two parents who loved each other, loved you, they stayed together, they nurtured you well, or whether you don't even know who your parents are. God knew you. God knew me before my parents existed or their parents or anyone else. Don't ask me to explain the mystery of how, say, my parents' marriage went so badly wrong. Was it intended by I don't understand all of that. If you don't know who your parents are, if maybe, you know, they can have all kinds of different things, different things in our background. We say, I don't understand all this, but one thing I do know. And the one absolute certainty is God knew you before he created anything. And God knowing you is not just God knowing about you. But God entering into a relationship with you. He was fond of you. He loved you. Before he'd made anything. And he always intended that you should come into existence. Because he'd called you. His call was on you before you were born. And through all the circumstances of your childhood, his call was there. He brought you to the place where you were saved. That was no accident. It's no accident that you encounter those people. It's no accident you went to that meeting or whatever. There was a sovereign call that had been decreed before anything was created and the sovereign Lord, the King of Love, was summoning you. He summoned you into existence. He summoned you through your childhood. He summoned you to the point where you became a Christian. It's the love of God. Loved by God. That's the reason for your existence. That's the reason for you being here now. That's the reason for the rest of your existence. That's the reason for God seeing you through all the things He takes you through. Loved by God. Called to Jesus Christ sovereignly before time was, because loved by God. Isn't that wonderful? Whatever anyone else thinks of you, whether you find it easy to relate with people or difficult, I tell you this, there's someone who loves you, (laughs) and it's God. The King of love loves you. That's why you're here. That's why you're on planet Earth. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Those whom God knew beforehand, He predestined. Your destiny was set. Nothing could make God's purpose blow off course. The destiny was set. You were going to heaven. And prior to going to heaven, you're coming into Christ. And you're going to live in Christ. And you're going to move through all the circumstances of life in Christ, in the Father's love. And that love is what saved us. And that love we know about because God has demonstrated it so effectively that it's impossible for us ever to doubt it. In chapter 5 of Romans, Romans 5 and verse 10, it says... um, So Romans 5 verse 8, uh, Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Goes on in verse 10, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? We were God's enemies and God demonstrates his love for us while we were sinners. Christ died for us. There's the demonstration of God's love. Does God love me? We look at the cross. And there's the demonstration of God's love. And no further supporting evidence is required. God is not on trial like he's got to keep proving he loves us. He's demonstrated it. At the cross, we see he has loved me. And we further see it. Because what happened at the cross has become part of our lives. And he has included us in what happened at the cross. And so the Spirit of God pours out the love of God into our hearts. Verse 5 of chapter 5. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Because the Holy Spirit enables us to see what happened at the cross applied to me. It's demonstrated. And so we can go then through any circumstance nourished by this fact. He's demonstrated his love. We're not looking for further evidence. When we're immature, we can maybe be all the time looking for evidence. And, and if we're in the early days of being a Christian, we, we first of all understand God loves us. And then something goes wrong and we think, well, does God really love me? That's immaturity. As we grow up. We realize, hey, it's demonstrated for all time. I just loved last week when Ruth gave her testimony. I don't know where she is for now, but uh, Ruth, Ruth testified that uh, she, would, she, she thought she knew what God had for the rest of her life. If those of you who were here last week, you heard her say it. And suddenly, her plans fall flat. And she's on her way home. The train is late. It's raining. Do you remember what she said? And she said she, she felt angry with God. And then. And this is what I loved. And then she said she repented of that. Because she saw that was just so wrong. And so often, and, and, and well done Ruth, because I was a testimony, this is some truth. Of course we don't get angry with God. but It's wrong to be angry with God. He loves us. He's demonstrated his love. And then she, of course she went on to say how God then showed her why he'd changed the direction of her life. Sometimes people will share their story and it just you, it grieves you, it grieves me. They'll say how things were going wrong, they got cross with God, and now something good has happened, so God's wonderful. You think, wait a minute, he was wonderful when things were going wrong. We don't just uh, like him when he's good to us and dislike him when things go tough. That is so childish. It's like a little child who, you know, if... If their, if, if, if their parents give them the latest toy that all their friends have got, and maybe give them, their parents give them one that is slightly better than their friends have got, oh, and they really love their mum and dad. But if mum and dad say no, oh, I don't like you, I mean, that, that's childish. Do we treat God like that? No, he's demonstrated his love. If we look at the cross, how can we ever get cross with God? How dare we! ever get cross with a sovereign God. We fear God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We dare not get cross with him. But he's demonstrated love. Incredible love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death. We don't question his love. We're nourished by it. When tragedy strikes, when the unexpected hits us, it's God's love. And so that's what Paul says, isn't it, in chapter 8 of this wonderful letter. He says, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future... There are any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been called to Jesus Christ our Lord. We are in him, and in him we're loved, and none, nothing can separate us from that love. Whatever's happening, death, life, angels, demons, we face death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered, all of that can happen. Yeah, but we're in Christ, and in him we're loved. And love has been wonderfully demonstrated. And we are thrilled with it. Now, of course, that's that's the conclusion we need to draw from the fact of being loved by God. Some draw a wrong conclusion. Some who are somewhat self-centered will say, if God loved me that much, I must be pretty lovable. I must be pretty wonderful if God loves me that much. If God loved me enough to give his son for me, wow, I must be quite a prize. I trust we all see through the folly of that. But there are people who think like that. If God loved me, that means I'm lovely. I must be lovable. I don't think that. I know I'm not lovely. And I know I'm not lovable. And people are nodding. Yeah, Absolutely. While we were God's enemies, while we were sinners, Christ, we were not lovable. The fact that God loves us demonstrates his character and says nothing about ours. The wonderful grace of God is that we are so unworthy, unlovable, filthy, defiled, polluted, rebellious, stubborn, stupid, Add up all the adjectives. That's us. That's me anyway. And God has loved me. That's amazing love. That's why we praise him. That's why we worship him. He called my name. And he called my name because he loved me. Incredible. That's you. That's not just some. Everyone, Paul doesn't know these people. He's never met them. But he can say, you are among those who are called And you're loved by God. And called saints. Called saints. A saint is someone who has been set apart for God. It means kind of sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Uh, It means separated for God. Belonging to God. God's special people. In the Old Testament... God chose a nation, Israel, and he said, you are a holy nation. Deuteronomy 7, 6, a holy nation, a people separated for God. They were distinct from all other people. He had called them, they were his. And because they were called to be his, they were to live in a particular way. And so being a saint also will lead to being holy. Holy. And so we call, we refer to saintliness when someone is particularly holy. But Paul hasn't met these people. He doesn't know what their lifestyle is like. He doesn't say, you are really saintly people. No, what he does know about them is they're called, they're loved, and therefore they are saints. Typically, he will address, we we refer to Christians. He doesn't tend to use that term. He speaks about saints, people who have been separated belonging to God. Now, of course, we are familiar with the term saint in terms of uh, saint this and saint that. You see, uh, as you travel around, you see church buildings with the name of a saint outside, many uh, dedicated to people who think, oh, who on earth was that? Uh, Travelling around here, I've seen churches, uh, St. Oswald, who was Oswald? Maybe someone can tell me. afterwards. Cuthbert, who was he? St. Cuthbert and all sorts of people, but the tradition is someone becomes a saint, this is the Catholic tradition, someone becomes a saint when some miracle can be accredited to them and their lifestyle has particularly exemplified joy and so on, then in the process of time, they are uh, the word is canonized, they become a saint. That is not what Paul is speaking about here. He is not talking about a special status because of particular virtues or qualities. He's saying, you've been called to God. You've been called to Jesus Christ. That makes you a saint. It is a matter of our position in Christ. Now, that position then changes. It's a bit like, again, to come back to the... uh, The illustration I gave earlier, Dan's walking out the door. I say, Dan, and he turns round, And then he starts walking towards me. As he starts walking towards me, he obviously gets nearer to me. God called us. The moment we turn, the direction of our life has changed. We become a saint. But as we keep walking, we get nearer to him. And so we become more, as it were, saintly, more sanctified, holier. But the moment we turn, the moment we've heard his voice, the moment he calls us, we are a saint. And so you can get some pretty ungodly saints. It's interesting, when Paul writes to the Corinthians... If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians particularly, you see what a mess that church was in. So much ungodly behaviour. But you know how Paul addresses them? He calls them people who are saints. That's who they are. That's their position in Christ. Then we have to keep walking, keep walking towards God, walking in God to become different, to become holy. In Ephesians 1 and verse 4, Ephesians 1 and verse 4, Paul puts it this way. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. There we see the same ideas that we're looking at. The love of God, God predestining us, but predestined to be holy and blameless. We become saints now we move towards us. The moment we're born again, we are, the Bible says, justified. We become saints. Justified. Our our sin is taken away. The righteousness of Christ becomes credited to us. We, We are as close to God now, as acceptable to God, as it's possible to be the moment we receive Christ as Savior. But having received Christ as Savior, we then have to start on the process of walking. Walking towards God. Walking with God. Sin being conquered. Dealing with issues in our lives. And that's when we become sanctified. We become holy. Now, some have misunderstood this. Some have misunderstood the thing of being loved by God and said, that must mean I'm lovable. Some misunderstand this. Called saints to say, therefore... If we are saints, that means there is no sin in our lives anymore. It means as far as we've just got to believe it, there is no longer any sin to ever confess or repent of. Because I'm a saint. That is not only total unreality, it also indicates a slight failure to read the New Testament. In fact, a serious failure to read the New Testament. You look at what Paul writes in this letter and indeed in all his letters. So much of what he's saying is addressing the issue of sin. And the issue of sins that have got to be stopped. Think behavior patterns that have got to change. If we have become entirely holy, if sin is no longer an issue, he wouldn't, the letters would all be remarkably short. Because he wouldn't address any of those issues. But you see what he says in chapter 6 here. He says in verse 11, Count yourselves dead to sin. What is he saying? We'll come to it when we come to chapter 6 eventually in a few years' time. But what he's saying is the penalty for sin has been paid. Christ died to sin. Sin is no longer our master. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Why does he need to say that to them if they're entirely holy? He needs to say it to them because he knows what people are like. And he knows what Christian people are like. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin. Why does he need to say that? Because it could happen. It's possible, as we know to our shame, to believe in Jesus, to love Jesus, and yet do things that we know are sin. He says, don't offer the, the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. We have a choice. We can either, what he's saying, offer ourselves to sin, or we can offer ourselves to righteousness. Once upon a time we had no choice. Once upon a time, sin reigned over us. Now we're in Christ. We're called to Him, loved by God, called saints. We're no longer under the the slavery of sin. We're free to do what's right. Well, let's not get into unreality and say, I never need to say sorry. It's a bit like, I mean, if you were to behave like that, it's a bit like, you know, when you get married, you promise in the wedding service you're going to love each other. And you think, well, I no longer need to tell her then that I love her because I've said it in front of witnesses. It's ridiculous. And she has promised she's going to love me till death parts us. So, hey, I never need to say sorry. It's all fine. She said, yeah, God has told us he loves us. God has told us we're saints. We still need to work towards it. And sometimes we can say, oh, God, I am so sorry. And, oh, God, please forgive me. Some would say, you never need to ask for forgiveness because you have been forgiven. Get on planet Earth. <laughs> of course we need to ask for forgiveness. What does John say in one, when he is addressing this very issue because these errors were creeping in quite early and people were saying, we're holy, sin is out of the way, we're without sin. he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. It's a matter of faithfulness and justice. It's simple justice. Jesus died for my sins, so of course he will forgive me. But I still confess my sin. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. His word has no place in our lives. Called saints. That's the label, saints. But how dare I? Call myself a saint. I know the state of my heart. I know what I'm like. But God calls me a saint. That's my position. Now, because that's my position, my condition can change. And because that's my position in Christ, now there's power to deal with those things of which I'm ashamed and I can press through. Called by God, a call that turns us round. And we start moving towards him. Loved by God. That's the reason for the call. He called me because he loved me. Before time was, he knew me. And having called me, he gives me this incredible title, saint. I was polluted with sin. I was foul with sin. And he calls me a saint. Everything changes. My destiny changes. The potential changes. I can walk with God. We need to know who we are. That's why Paul is setting these things out. We need to know who we are. Because the Bible also tells us, and Paul doesn't deal with this here, that we've got an enemy, the devil, who is a slanderer. And he likes to tell us who he, what, what he thinks we are or what he wants us to think we are. He says, you're a failure. You'll never make it. God doesn't love you. How could he love you when you've done this, this, and this? The devil's always there to slander us and to accuse us. We need to hear God's truth. And what God says is, I have called you. I called you because I loved you and I've made you a new person. You are a saint. That is who we are in the eternal love of God, in an eternal relationship with Christ. And therefore, our prospects wonderfully change. Called, loved, and saints. This is to be prized above everything else. Again, the picture, of Dan walking out of the door. I call him, he starts walking. Other people are going the other way. He walks this way. And he keeps walking because he wants to know, why did I call him? And he doesn't stop till he gets here. And I say what it was about. God has called us. We start moving and we don't stop moving till we meet him. Because we want to know, what, what is this all about? And it's only when we meet him, we'll see that's what it's all about. And when we see him, we'll know as we're known. But we don't stop till then. And we prize that call. We're not going to turn aside. We're not going to turn back. We can't turn back. His call magnetically draws us on. And we're drawn heavenwards in Christ. We prize this above everything else. These are things that will last forever. Nothing else in life lasts forever. But called, loved saints. These are things that will never be removed from us. So we need to wake up and see who we are. We need to let the truth get through to us. This is what it's about. So we make choices in life. Make those choices in the light of this. Let this set the perspective. I'm called by God. I'm I'm on a path. That's the way I'm going. Wake up to who we are and let's live it. People with a call. People loved by God. And called saints. Equally, maybe there are people here this morning who need to wake up to who they're not. Wake up to the fact, has God called you? What about all of this? Which way are you heading? In the wrong direction? No, you can't make a call happen. You can't make God call you. But if, if you don't know God, turn and say, oh God, <laughs> Help me. And you know, if you turn, you'll find you turn because he called you. (laughs) And maybe you're here this morning because he called you. Maybe you're here this morning because he drew you here. You think, why did I come? A friend invited me or whatever. No, God's calling you. It's time to respond to him.